The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. First, you'll hear from Robin Sue Fisher, a Jewish small business owner in San Francisco whose shop, Smitten Ice Cream, was vandalized in October 2023 in what's being investigated as an anti-Semitic hate crime. There's been a rise in both anti-Semitic and anti-Palestinian crimes here in the U.S. as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict escalates in the Middle East. Fisher speaks about how her company's core values informed her response to the attack on her store, led her to reopen her shop, and why she feels it's important to speak out as a business owner about her mission and values. Then, University of Michigan professor Marcus Collins dissects the risks and rewards of businesses taking a political or social stand and how business owners can determine when and how to speak out. My colleague Sarah Eisen led both conversations at CNBC's Small Business Playbook event on December 14th. Take a listen. Welcome, Robin. So for those that aren't familiar with, with your story, and it did get a lot of pickup across newspapers and local television stations. Tell us exactly what happened. On October 25th, I woke up to a ton of texts and calls and, uh, and uh, emails from team and media basically trying to talk with me about um, a very extreme vandalism to our storefront of our flagship store in San Francisco. The windows were all smashed and um, hit with baseball bats and there was graffiti all over um, the remaining parts of the storefront. What did you do next? Man, it was a process, honestly. Um, at first, I honestly was just trying to digest the information and, um, and process the emotion behind it. Um, and that, that took a while. Um, so I was trying to let myself feel and, um, and had to process through, you know, fear and sorrow and grief and um, and amidst all this processing of my emotions around what was happening and trying to deal with the influx of um, of attention, um, I sort of did two things. One, um, I started focusing on, you know, why did I start this company in the first place and what are the values that I hmm. want to hold on to in this moment. And number two, there were all these people who started reaching out to me and just saying, like, I stand with you, I care about you, I love you, like people I knew, people I didn't know. And that was an amazing web of humanity that was emerging and showing me um, sort of the, you know, a silver lining amidst the destruction was that there are, were a ton of people out there who who cared and who wanted to help. Robin, you said it made you think about why you started this business and re-examine your values. Yeah. And, I, and I'm curious what you mean by that. Good question. Um, so 
The company's name is Smitten, and that means in love. And the reason I started the company in the first place was really to create a business that could bring people together and that could take this moment of eating ice cream, which is this like pure moment of joy and love, and try to elevate it and make it even more um, beautiful and memorable. And so, you know, in this moment of hate and intimidation, my belief uh, more than ever was to try to put the energy back into the world that was about the things that the company stands for. And so um, I was compelled to try to refocus energy and attention around love and togetherness. And that was very important to me. Why do you think your business was targeted? Good question. Um, I don't, I don't honestly know. It was, it is currently being investigated as a hate crime because I'm Jewish. Um, but I don't want to. I'm trying to base all of, you know, my thinking around fact. And there, you know, it's an ongoing mm -hmm. investigation. So, um, but I'm, I'm trying to focus on the fact, and then, you know, basically what I stand for and how to put that back, back out into the world. So, we're just looking uh, at, you know, that's what we've been doing. Yeah, we're, we're looking at some of the images the from after the attack. So it, yeah. it looks like it was, it was free Palestine. Is that what the, the main messages of, were on there? The, yeah, there were, so there were two main messages that were left um, on the windows that were not totally smashed. One was out the mission, which, um, you know, was, I assume said out of the mission before the windows were smashed. And the other one was free Palestine, but I think it's really important that we recognize that, that Palestine was spelled incorrectly. So um, I don't, you know, I, I think that that's very telling um, of the divisiveness. And so, um, you know, I've made sure to, uh, to point that out anytime, you know, people read it, uh, because I think it also casts unfair blame um, on other communities. So right. um, I think that the, what, I, what I've learned from this is, you know, there's so many people who are hurt. There's so many people who are scared. It's such a time of division. And I want to use ice cream, which is such a, um, you know, a sort of a global unifying thing. Yes. It's hard to be meeting people when you're holding an ice cream cone. And I want to use that to try to bring people back together. I'm curious how the police have handled this, Robin. You said they're investigating it as a hate crime. Do, yeah. do you feel that they have been adequate in their response? Do you feel supported? Um, yeah, I think they're doing, you know, they've got video footage and they're doing an investigation. There's a, um, you know, a couple of, um, of them came in when the story opened and, uh, uh, you know, showed their support and um, have followed up. So I feel, I feel um, grateful and confident that, you know, they're doing, um, they're doing a good job and, um, and hopeful that they can, you know, push forward in the investigation. Has this entire incident and, and everything that you've experienced since then led you to rethink how you run your business? Um, yes and no. I would say, um, you know, there's certainly, as a small business owner, there's certainly some changes we've made to our um, storefront and thinking through, you know, brighter lights and security and making sure our team feels safe and then making sure the community feels safe as well. But I also think that it's brought us right back to where we started in terms of why are we doing this? What do we stand for? And um, you know, what do we think that the community needs? And we really have sort of recentered our focus around that and tried to sort of elevate that intention. And it has brought the community even more around us because I think people really want to see um, a beacon of love and hope and to feel that in the community. And so we have sort of steadfastly said that's what we stand for. And we have, um, you know, a 
a new window decal I'm looking at uh, at the window behind, um, behind you um, that says, in the spirit of ice cream, we choose love. And I think that that is just sort of a re-centered around our mission and values. So it's always been there and we're standing for it um, in this moment and um, sort of everlasting. You know, it, it's a story that, that is, is personal, to, personal to me, Robin, as well, because as a Jewish person, I've been particularly alarmed at the rising tide of anti-Semitism and, and anti-Semitism mm -hmm. against small businesses like yours in the United States, half a world away from, from where this is happening, where the terrorist attack and the, and the Israeli offensive and responses. And, I'm, and I just wonder how you process that and react to that. Um, I think um, I think everything is you know it's it's a loaded, extremely loaded topic. I think that I am doing the best I can to um, to digest and respond instead of react within my community in a way that I think um, I, you know I, I, I sort of I believe that I have personal responsibility to help create the world that I want to live in. And so I am trying to live that in my actions and trying to be responsive instead of reactive. And I think that, you know, um, anger begets anger and hate begets hate. And so um, I want to put love back into the world. How's the business so that, doing? That is has, how I'm owning it. Has there been um, any change? The bit, you know, yeah, it's been um, it's been heartwarming to see the support um, come out. We had the senator here um, to help cut the ribbon on opening day, which was really meaningful. And people from across the community have um, have been come, making a point to come, even in the you know even in the colder, rainier weather that we have this time of year, to just say you know thank you for reopening, and it means a lot to us. And you know we want you here, and we, you know we're gonna. We're going to show up by coming. So that has meant a lot. We also have, um, we created a community art project in our store. So we have um, a pillar down the center of the store and we turned it into the pillar of love. And so we asked that as people come in, they're, they're welcome to add. We have these heart-shaped sticky notes and um, asking people to add, you know, something or someone they love to write in the sticky note and to put it on the pillar. And the pillar is like floor to ceiling hearts right now. So every time I walk in here, it just... You know, it shows the community support and it shows that we're coming together um, despite, you know, the, the loudness that's happening in yeah. the world. I think that um, there's a lot of humanity and this web of humanity um, is really important, I think, for us to see amidst all the divisiveness. And so um, this is an example of how the sort of power of the people and the voice of small business can, you know, can have a voice in, in all of this. So that's kind of how well, I'm seeing it. I mean, well said, Robin. We really appreciate you coming here and, and sharing your story and, and sharing how you're thinking about all of these sort of complicated issues. And love love over, overpowers hate. Owner of Smitten Ice Cream in San Francisco. Thank you so much and good luck, Robin Sue Fisher. Thank you so much. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. 
It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. I want to turn now to the issue of risk versus reward. As businesses have become increasingly vocal when it comes to speaking out about hot-button political and social issues, the question is, how do you decide what to say and when? Joining us now is Marcus Collins, author and clinical assistant professor of marketing at the University of Michigan. Marcus, welcome. It's good to talk to you. For business, what, what should the response, if any, be to the October 7th terror attack in Israel and the offensive that Israel has launched on Gaza as a result? Well, there are a few things to consider. I mean, what a powerful story uh, with Smitten. Robin, Robin's story was just so moving, but it requires a bit of framing. Requires a bit of frame. So let's do some framing. The difference between a business and a brand requires a certain set of perspectives. A business is an organization, an entity that goes to market in an effort to facilitate exchange. I give you something for money, right? But brands are different. Brands are identifiable vessels of meaning. They signify something that conjure up thoughts and feelings in the hearts and minds of people relative to a company and its products. So when it comes to brands and companies, they operate differently. There is a company uh, in Ann Arbor where I, where I teach and where I live on State Street in, in Williams that's a party store. And on the sign of the store, it says party. That's it, right? It doesn't mean anything other than what it does. But brands, they transcend their category, they transcend uh, what they do and operate at a level of why they do it. So when it comes to these things that happen in the social discourse, brands weigh in on those conversations based on how they see the world and what they want to stand for. I mean, Robin said it really well, we stand for love, we stand for bringing people together, and therefore, she or another brand may have a point of view about that. But if you're just selling uh, toothpaste because you think people should have wider smiles, then that's what you focus on, not on these more social and political issues. But do doesn't business have a responsibility uh, of, about the world around them, what happens geopolitically, what happens in the political discourse? I know these are thorny issues and can get businesses in trouble, but they also want to have a certain kind of environment and society that they operate and succeed in. A thousand percent. Companies, businesses have a responsibility for the community in which they operate because they have their stakeholders in the community. There are people who live there, there are entities, organizations that reside in it, and therefore, they are in discourse with them on a day-to-day -day basis in their operations. And if their, organs, or if their community is faltering, then that company doesn't win. So therefore, you're right, there is a, a relationship. Now, do all companies have to speak out on these matters? No. I think that companies, particularly brands, should speak out when these matters matter to them. 
right? When you think about what the brand stands for, what the brand stands in for, what it wants to mean, how it sees the world, for what it is convicted, those are the things that brands should to speak up about. But when you don't have a very clear point of view, when you don't feel that this thing is very, very, very convicted about the matter, yeah. then I would argue that this probably isn't the right thing for you to weigh in on. What, what are some examples of issues that, com- that businesses should, should weigh in on? Take an example like a brand like Patagonia. Now, I know Patagonia is a big brand, and we're talking about small companies here, but small businesses and big brands, they, are, they, they operate by the same rules. The context mm. may be different, right? But it's, they're still driven by the same mechanisms. It's like NBA basketball, NCAA basketball, and WNBA basketball. <laughs> it's all the same thing. The rules are just slightly different. Right, so when we talk about, we can use big brands as an example to think about smaller companies because they, they each have the similar imperative, right, to win, to get people to move. So take a big brand like Patagonia. Patagonia believes in climbing clean, in mitigating our invasiveness on the planet. And therefore, Patagonia speaks out on matters that have an implication or have some impact on the environment. Now, I'm sure the people at Patagonia have a point of view about immigration. I'm sure the people at Patagonia have a point of view about abortion or any other social issue, but they don't speak out on it because it's not aligned with their conviction, how they see the world. So we have to ask ourselves, are we convicted or do we have an opinion? And as a company, as a brand with stakeholders, both mm-hmm. inside the organization and outside of it, we have to practice great discernment with the things that we speak out on. Like we can't treat our marketing efforts like Law & Order SVU, like ripped from the headlines <laughs> of the news. Instead, we have to be very judicious about what we weigh in on because these things that we're convicted on, we're basically saying that this matters for me. I stand for it, even if I'm the only one. I stand for this thing, even if it means that my business, my organization, my entity might lose. I'm so Mm. convicted by it that this is what I'm willing to use my voice and my social capital and my financial capital to get behind it. And that's a really powerful thing. And what it does is when it happens, people who see the world the way you do go, yes, exactly. That's my kind of brand. That's my kind of company. Those are my kind of people. Not only do they consume, but they use the brand as a way to communicate their identity. They go tell their friends and their friends' friends and they become the vehicle by which the brand goes to market. You really have to, as a brand and a company, have those core values laid out from the very beginning so you can always come back to them. I'm curious then, Marcus, how, how companies and brands can tell if they're saying too much or whether they're not saying enough. Well, I think, by and large, we get a barometer of how well we're faring in our efforts from the market, from the people. There's social cues that tell us that we're doing too much or not doing enough. Just like we as individuals show up in the world, we get cues from the people around us to get a sense of whether or not we are living up to the standard, where we're living up to expectations. So when brands speak out, when companies act, when they behave, they look and see how the market responds. There is a discourse between the two. This dialogue between the two helps us take inventory of of what's happening and respond in kind. So we can look at social networking platforms, the rhetoric that people are using about the brand when they're acting, when they're speaking out, when their kinetics 
uh, are implicitly communicating how they feel about a particular point of view or a particular topic. And as we look how the rhetoric is being used in the discourse, people are talking, having conversations, we go, oh, I need to say more, or oh, I need to fall back. And it's this back and forth, this volley between the public that help us stay in good standing, stay, stay in lockstep with the way the public make meaning, makes meaning and how they establish their expectations of what they have of us. I mean, I think what's really powerful mm -hmm. here is when we think about strong brands, that strong brands operate at a very high ideological level. Here's what the literature tells us. Um, one of my, my colleagues at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan, Rajiv Batra, calls it the Batra Brand Pyramid. It's my remix on it. Essentially, that <laughs> to, to, be a, to be a brand, to be a, um, any monicum of strength as a brand, people need to know who you are. You need to have awareness. Oh, I know that brand. But they're brands that I know that I don't consume from because just because I know them doesn't mean they're any good. So one step up is that you have good quality. Oh, I know that brand and that brand has good quality products. One step over that is that that brand is a leader in the space, right? Mm. Oh, I know that brand, they have good products and they're leaders in the space. One step over that is that I trust it, I have confidence in that brand. But one step above that is associations, the things that come to mind when I think about that brand Right? It evokes these sort of uh, cognitions in my head, but the most powerful brands transcend all of them and operate at an ideological level, a belief, a way of seeing the world. And when they do that, when brands do that, not only do they have permission to weigh in on topics outside of selling ice cream or selling toothpaste or razor blades or whatever you do in your business, not only can weigh in on these social topics, but people can pour into the brand as a way of realizing their own identity, that the brand's belief are equal to my belief and you become my brand. And I use that brand to not only communicate my identity, but share with people like ourselves. And the way that we signify that is through the things that we speak up about, the way mm -hmm. that we behave and the way that we treat consumers and non-consumers alike. Well, what if it turns off employees? What if it turns off consumers? Those are key stakeholders. I completely agree. This is why I call it conviction as opposed to purpose. Right? We, know we talk about brands have a purpose. Now, yeah, brands do have purposes. They have a financial purpose and that they go to market in exchange as a company, and they also have uh, some belief. But I think conviction is the better way to think about it because conviction means that I'm gonna stand for this even if I'm the only one. I'm gonna stand for this even if it means losing customers, losing employees, losing favor in the minds of people. If you go back to Patagonia, Patagonia believes in climbing clean, mitigating our impact, our invasiveness on the planet. And Patagonia believes in this so fervently that they told the country, hey, don't buy this jacket. It took out a full page ad in New York Times some mm -hmm. years ago for Black Friday. It said, do not buy this jacket. Why? Because buying something new is actually gonna be more wasteful on the planet and you probably have a coat that you already exist. And you know what? Not only that, we're gonna open up a service where we're gonna repair your Patagonia jackets for free. In fact, we'll repair people's jackets who aren't from Patagonia because that's how committed we are to it. And for people who are turned off by it, we go, oh, sorry, not sorry. Then I guess we aren't for you. I think having that, that, that kind of conviction, that, 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 that the willingness to stand for something so fervently becomes yeah. a, a signal to people who believe what you believe that you're really about it, that there's some authenticity there. And even people who don't agree with you go, well, at least they are committed. And I think that's really powerful.
I wonder if we could just take a few quick sort of examples of issues that I think businesses, both large and small, struggle with communicating around. Abortion rights. What, mm -hmm. what should be the posture? Should, should companies speak up? If you are convicted, you should speak up about it. If you aren't, if you don't have a point of view that's aligned with the meaning that you want to have in people's minds, then it's probably best to keep your opinion to your personal conversations. But when you are going out into the public on behalf of your brand, then these things need to be very, very closely tied to it. Because to your point, you run the risk of losing people. And what we do know is that for brands who believe in a thing, when no one else does, when, 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 where there is an opposition there, when they're still willing to go to market, it says a lot about who that brand is. And if you don't feel that confident about it, if you don't feel that convicted about it, it's probably best that you say nothing at all. Yeah, I was going to say voting rights as another issue. All sorts of big businesses got in trouble when they started speaking out on, on state laws around voting. That's right. And the, the, the consequence to that is that if you're not convicted by it, what you do is you pull back, you backtrack, right? you backpedal. And now the public goes, oh, man, these guys aren't authentic at all. It's almost worse. It's worse to say something and then go, just kidding, didn't really mean that, than to say nothing at all. Right? If you are, you, are you thinking of Disney in Florida? <laughs> Is that a subtle reference? I mean, I, I, will, I, I don't want to... Uh, I don't, I don't want to convict anyone here. <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make is that whatever you are convicted about, you have to stand for it. Because the minute that you back off, people will go, oh, you aren't real. I mean, actually, Bud Light is a great example of this. Yep. With Dylan Mulvaney this, this, uh, 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 back in this spring, mm -hmm. right, came out in support of LGBTQ plus uh, uh, community. And the minute that they got any pushback, they flinched. And in doing so, not only did they upset the, the, the people who were boycotting them, but they also alienated the people they were supposed to be supporting. And now they're left with people who are just in the middle who says, I don't want to be a part of this at all. I'll just drink Modelo. And as a result, sales yep. go down for Bud Light. And they're still feeling that. Right? It would be much yeah. better for Bud Light not to say anything at all than to say something and then backtrack. So my final question is a, is a related one. And, and it really does bring us back to this moment and our, the conversation we just had with Robin. The, the rise of anti-Semitism in this country, what impact do you think that's going to have on companies, DEI departments and policies, which have been sort of a work in progress over the last few years? But now there's already some, some pushback. Reminds me a little bit of pushback to ESG. What mm -hmm. do you think is going to happen there? This is a great tension because what we're finding is that people now more than ever in divisive times need safe spaces. And the world isn't offering a lot of them. And when people come to work, they want psychological safety. They want to feel like they belong. And if we aren't taking very measured, very purposeful steps forward to ensure diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and accessibility in the company, then people begin to feel detached. The tension here is that companies more than ever are Xing out their DEI efforts, right? That's the first group of people to, to walk out the door, which says a lot about these companies' conviction. How convicted were you about diversity from the beginning? Because if this is such an easy thing for you to let go, even though this was supposed to be an investment, it was, it was, uh, it was the top priority when everyone was talking about diversity 
uh, uh, around the time of the execution of George Floyd. But then once sort of the, the country has moved on, public discourse has moved on, now you kind of push that to the side. It says a lot about the company. Were you really about it? Did you really believe in it? And we're seeing this come to bear. And it, become, it becomes to a head when your employees need it more than ever. There are more, more groups of people who are feeling marginalized, who are feeling at risk, who are feeling threatened, that need a safe space. And now your company have completely removed that part of its operations. And it becomes an even greater issue where people don't feel like they belong. And as social animals, as Aristotle would say, that's all we really want. We want to come together and belong. 100%. But I think a lot of these, a lot of the DEI policies and departments are being found to be not all inclusive and somewhat hypocritical. I don't disagree. If we are about diversity, we need diversity with a capital D. Not, di- not picking and choosing, not handpicking what we mean by diversity. Right? And, and the, the, the powerful part about diversity is that it provides better solutions. Right? Well, we know this empirically from the literature. One of my colleagues, Scott Page, does this in, in his work. We, we see that there is a diversity bonus, that when we have diverse perspectives in the way that we see a problem, we get to better solutions, which is amazing, which really means that diversity isn't, uh, this isn't an, an act of altruism. This isn't about a social good. This is actually a business imperative. One would argue a business advantage. And it, we owe it to our teammates, to our, our employees, to provide a safe space so that they can contribute to the company in meaningful ways. But if we aren't doing that full stop, then are we really living up to what we say we're about? That was Marcus Collins, assistant professor of marketing at the University of Michigan. And before that, Robin Sue Fisher, the founder and CEO of Smitten Ice Cream in San Francisco. They spoke to Sarah Eisen at CNBC's Small Business Playbook event on December 14, 2023. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share with your friends. You can visit CNBCEvents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can join us. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.